0: good of good things well we've come to uh, verse 14 and 15 but primarily verse 14 in our major questions in the bible series and we'll read those verses again there's a really a series of questions that paul launches into here he says how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And so we've come to our major question this evening, which is found in verse 14. And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? Just by way of introduction, someone Uh, asked me how I determine each week uh, the major question. How do I decide what we'll consider? Obviously, we're not considering every major question. And really, uh, in terms of discerning it being a major question, I always try to consider the significance of the question as it relates to the rest of Scripture, the ramifications of it and the subject that it's dealing with. Uh, and also its answer. So there are various topics that we that we see when God asks a question about this subject that it is very significant. And so that's somewhat of, of how I decide. And so I, I say that because some might come to this question and uh, perhaps not think it's so major, uh, but I assure you that it is. How shall they hear without a preacher? And really, as I said, it's in that series of questions that Paul is asking here. And this is a major question due to its answer concerning its immediate context. Paul says, how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, they're not going to hear without a preacher. That is extremely significant in terms of the spread of the gospel. Paul is saying that except Someone goes and preaches the gospel, then they're not going to hear the gospel. And in the context, he's specifically referring to Israel. It, it applies broader than that, but he opens the chapter, brethren. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And so he sees the the practical necessity of this in regards to Israel and other sinners, but also. It's a major question because of its significance concerning its wider context, meaning the entire Bible. It raises the subject of biblical preaching and its necessity in the lives of Christians and in the life of a local church. It raises that subject, the subject of preaching. That is significant because we live in a day... When preaching has fallen on hard times in many ways, in many places, and there are several factors that contribute to that that we won't get into yet, but I just, by way of introduction, wanted to point this out because preaching has fallen on hard times in many places, but I thank God for His grace that it has not fallen on hard times in this church and in this denomination. And I wanted to take a moment to thank each of the people here in the Lord's name that you attend faithfully the preaching of the Word of God, that you're committed to the hearing of the Word of God as it is preached. And I don't say that to puff you up. I don't say that to... For us to pat ourselves on the back or anything of that nature. I say that because it is a mark of the grace of God. It is purely of grace that you desire to hear the word of God preached in any way. And so, as we come to this verse and we come to deal with this subject, I want us to consider it under this title, the practical necessity of biblical preaching. The practical necessity of biblical preaching. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they hear without a preacher? When Paul says that, he is not saying that in a vacuum. He is not saying that removed from the rest of Revelation. There's an assumption in what he says concerning a preacher. How shall they hear without a preacher? He's communicating something to us. And so at the very beginning, we want to see first here defining biblical preaching defining biblical preaching not all preaching if you say preaching in a general sense not all preaching is biblical preaching just because someone stands up and in an authoritative way says something does not mean that it's biblical preaching and so it's important at the beginning to understand what Paul means when he says a preacher he is referring to biblical preaching. Obviously, that's the assumption. And the word he uses here is really the word for herald. He, he is referring to someone who heralds. And in the Roman context, that was very well understood that Caesar would send out his heralds to proclaim his decrees. And everything that that herald said was to be according to the decree of Caesar. That they were not to alter the message in any way They were not to add or subtract, and that is a very sobering thing to consider for anyone who stands where I do now. But Paul uses this word preacher, and we want to understand that. And so I want us to consider a definition, not necessarily the definition, but at least a definition of biblical preaching, and then break that down in this first point. So as we consider biblical preaching, it is an accurate and passionate proclamation of God's revelation, including accurate and authoritative application to all hearers. I know that may be a rather long definition, but each part is very important. An accurate and passionate proclamation of God's revelation, including accurate and authoritative application to all hearers. The reason I think it's important for us to consider that is because if we were to limit our understanding of the word that Paul uses just to the Roman context, I believe that would be too narrow. Paul is Jewish in his descent. He is thoroughly saturated in the Old Testament. He, He has this entire background that he pulls from in his writings, that the Holy Spirit uses uh, as he writes sacred scripture. And so we want to see both some things from the Old and the New Testament regarding uh, this definition as we go through it. And so, as we think about defining biblical preaching, the first thing, it is a proclamation of God's revelation. It is a proclamation of God's revelation. Verse 14, how shall they hear without a preacher? In other words, it should always, in, in the context of the scriptures, it should always be based on God's word. Any, any preaching that is biblical is going to be based on God's word. and We might think that is, that is basic, but it's not so understood in these days in all parts of the professing church. And yet this is clear that it is always to be based on God's word. Paul's charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1, he says, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Paul says preach the word and it's even more significant when you think of the context in which he says that for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But he tells Timothy, Timothy always preach the word. Don't start preaching anything other than the word. So it is always based on God's word and it is unashamedly to be based on God's word. This proclamation of God's revelation should be unashamedly based on his word. If you turn to Ezekiel, Ezekiel's prophecy chapter 2, you may see that if you care to turn there. But Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 6, this is the Lord's word to Ezekiel regarding the ministry that he is about to launch into. He says to him, this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, And thou, son of man... Be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dost dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are most rebellious. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee, Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And when I looked, behold, an hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein, and he spread it before me, and it was written within and without, and there was written therein lamentations and mourning and woe. And so Ezekiel's being told to go and proclaim a word to this rebellious house of Israel. And the Lord tells him to not be afraid. He tells him to go and unashamedly declare that which I have revealed to you. Speak my words. Open thy mouth and eat that I give thee. And so it is an unashamed proclamation. So it should be based on God's word but also it should be accurate. It should be accurate following on from our definition. Now that Again, seems to go without saying, but it's not, it's not always understood what, what that requires and what that means. You see this in Nehemiah very clearly brought out as you think about biblical preaching. And no doubt Paul, when he would have uh, written about preaching, would have this passage in his mind in Nehemiah uh, chapter 8. We read that classic text regarding uh, preaching preaching from the ministry of Nehemiah and Ezra in the day when they read the book of the law before the people. We read in verse 8 of Nehemiah 8. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now that's a significant text as you think about preaching because the previous verses tell us that Ezra is standing upon a pulpit of wood that he is above the people, so there's authority communicated in his position. And no doubt that is where these come from in the thoughts of the church regarding the establishment of preaching. So there's, a, there's an authoritative proclamation here. They read in the book of the law distinctly and give the sense and cause them to understand the reading. Do you understand from that text how it is? it is all about the word? It's, it's accurate. It's driven by the word. They read it, and then they proclaim the sense of it to the people. And so as you think about it being accurate, and some of this, this is very important for you to remember as you, as you hear preaching because some of you probably know these things, but it's important to remember in terms of your filter when you hear preaching and how to keep people accountable And I'm saying all this to you so you can keep me accountable (laughs) as I minister to you week by week. But it should be accurate grammatically. Grammatically. It should be according to the grammar of the words of God. Why? Why does it have to be grammatically accurate? Because each and every word is inspired. Each and every word in this book has been given specifically by the Holy Spirit of God so that we do not simply cast words aside. We do not just haphazardly interpret something. When we read our Bibles or when someone preaches the Bible, every word has to be weighed and and considered in its proper place. So it should be grammatically accurate. It should be historically accurate. That's what they do in Nehemiah when they give the sense. They give the meaning. They read in the book of the law distinctly and give the sense. Why is it important for for it to be historically accurate? Because the Bible is a book full of inspired, inspired history. It's selective. It's not a history book. It doesn't cover everything. It's God's redemptive focus in history. And so everything that occurs in the Bible is significant to redemption. And so it must be, therefore, historically accurate. And it must be theologically accurate. Because the words and the history are the foundation of the theology. That's why when people cast aside the first 11 chapters of Genesis, they wreak havoc On the rest of the Bible. Because they do away with a historical grammatical foundation for the theology that is later developed in the New Testament regarding the person and work of Christ. Not only that in the theology, but as well as considering the focus of the Bible in the the theological accuracy People can come to the Bible and they can say, well, the Bible's all about this or the Bible's all about that. And they can can look at the grammar and they can look at the history and they can come up with wacky ideas as to what the Bible's all about, that there's really no unity in it. And yet it's always crucial that we come back to understand what the Bible says about itself in terms of his interpretation, that the Lord Jesus says, search the Scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life, and it is they that testify of me. That he, beginning at Moses, expounded in all the prophets, in everything in the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. And so the Bible, when we, always, when we think about its theology, in every passage, we always have to come back to the fact that the Bible is God-focused and Christ-centered. It's focused on God and what he's doing through Christ. And that should always be present. In this proclamation. Of God's revelation. And so with that as our understanding of it. In as much as it is accurate. In as much as it is accurate. The preaching of the word of God. Is the word of God. That's very. Very. I say that very carefully so that you understand what I mean. In as much as it is accurate, the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. And that is the historic Reformed understanding of preaching. That, That statement, the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God, comes from the second Helvetic confession written by Heinrich Bullinger. And he hones in on that. That in as much as it is the accurate proclamation of the word, as the grammar and the history and the, the theology are in accordance with what God has revealed, it is authoritative. It is God's word. And so, as well as based on God's word and accurate, it should be passionate. It is a passionate proclamation. Now I'll go ahead and tell you, this is convicting to me. Because by passionate, I mean personally felt. That the preaching of God's word, the preaching of the truth, it is not just the communication of of truth, but it is truth that has taken hold of the heart and soul of the person who's proclaiming it. And I would, therefore, ask you to pray for me every week. That whatever I am studying, whatever the Lord is, is leading us to study in this church will take hold of my heart every week. That I would never, that I would never proclaim to you dry truth as it were that hasn't been felt in my own soul. That should be passionate. A passionate proclamation. And lastly about this definition It includes application of God's revelation. So that first part, it's a proclamation of God's revelation that includes application of God's revelation. And you see that in the examples we have in Scripture of the preaching of the Word of God all throughout the book of Acts. You see this in the life of our Lord Jesus. You see that it should be accurate application as well. It is not just An application, it's application that's based on the truth that's being brought before you. You see that in the Lord Jesus' life and ministry in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And so his application is based on what's explicitly been revealed. He he says in that text, repent ye for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so because the kingdom of God is at hand, the proper application is repent. You think about how this is so misunderstood today in terms of application. He could have just said, and some would have us to think that you just just say the truth, that you don't apply the truth. And yet, the Lord Jesus could have said, the kingdom of God is at hand. And just left it there. And left the, the people he was preaching to to conclude, to make their own conclusion about it. But he doesn't leave it there. And so the preaching of God's truth always comes with application of his truth. And so it should be explicit in the text, like it is in Mark 1.15. Anytime if you were preaching that, you would make that application. But it's also logically and biblically deduced from the text. And that's how it is accurate. That as Paul in Colossians chapter 3, he does this with the commandments. He tells the Colossian people in verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now Paul makes a deduction there about covetousness he concludes that covetousness is equal to idolatry based on on what it means to to covet. That, That you're desiring something, and he says by desiring that thing in a covetous way, you're committing idolatry. And then he makes the application that they are to mortify that and flee from that. And so it can be logically and biblically deduced. Not only logically, Because we know that that men's minds can drag them astray from the truth. So anytime we make a deduction of application from from the truth, it has to be grounded in what the rest of the Bible says. And so it should be accurate application. And because it is accurate, it is authoritative application. In as much as it is accurately based on the word of God, it is authoritative so that when there's an application made in the preaching of the Word of God that is based upon the Word of God, it is not a take-it-or-leave-it application. It is not something that, that can just be left there. It has to be taken on board as God's revealed will, inasmuch as it is accurate. And so... It is a proclamation of God's revelation and it includes application of God's revelation. That is the definition. That is a definition to work from as we go through the rest of Romans. Chapter 10 and verses 14 and 15. How shall they hear without a preacher? And so that's the definition of biblical preaching. But secondly, consider with me As we think about preaching here being a necessity, a practical necessity in the life of the local church, in the life of Christians, consider with me secondly, personally prioritizing biblical preaching. Personally prioritizing biblical preaching. Paul says, how shall they hear without a preacher? He's saying that this is necessary to At least evangelism in his context and then what we'll see in Ephesians 4 in the life of the church. So note with me first here the reasons for this priority. The reasons for this priority. Why does biblical preaching need to be a priority in the life of every Christian and in the life of every local church? Well because, firstly, it is the primary means for spreading of the gospel. It is the primary means for the spreading of the gospel. Not the only means, but the primary means. And that's the whole point of what Paul's saying. How shall they hear without a preacher? They're not going to hear without a preacher. Paul is saying that these, these people, for he, this is all following from verses 13 and that, that preceding it, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul says these glorious promises of the gospel invitation. He, he, he says, as, as Christ is presented, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so he gives all these, these promises to lost sinners, for he's referring back to Israel. But then he, he notes the, the necessity that they're not going to hear these promises. They're not going to hear the gospel message without a preacher. We think about there is personal evangelism, and and we each share the gospel in our local areas, and you see that in Acts too, that they went gossiping the gospel, and it's right on the back of of Philip going and preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. And the, the two words there are different, the one being the gossiping of the gospel in conversation, the one being the heralding Of the gospel. And so there are both aspects, and yet Paul hones in on it here as the primary means for sharing the gospel and therefore converting the lost. But also, it is the primary means for growth in the gospel. Not only for spreading the gospel, but for growth in the gospel. You see this in several of Paul's writings, but in Romans chapter 1, at the very beginning, he's writing to believers, and you've no doubt heard this before, but it is significant. So as much as in me is, Romans 1.15, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Now what does that tell us? But that the gospel is for the people of God. It's not this message that gets left at the beginning of the Christian life, but it's a message that flows all the way through the Christian life. And Paul is saying, at the beginning, he's a preacher, and he's ready to preach the gospel to those who know the Lord, and yet he's also saying here, that the people who are lost and don't know the Lord, they need to hear the message as well, and how shall they hear without a preacher? And this is what he hones in on, As well in Ephesians 4, which we'll get to in due time in our studies in Ephesians. But he says in Ephesians 4.11, referring to the Lord, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for what? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He is saying that, that this work of preaching is the primary means for growth in the gospel. Not the only, but the primary. And that's what he's honing in on when he says those statements in Ephesians and at the beginning of Romans. And so, as it is those things, those are reasons for its priority. And as we see in light of those things, the third reason for this priority is that it is a God-ordained priority in the Christian life, in the evangelization of sinners. That as it is revealed in the Word of God to be so, it is God-ordained. It is his delight that he has so chosen preaching to be these primary means. And that is why any time there is a lack of biblical preaching, it is a mark of God's chastening of his church. You see that in Amos, the prophecy of Amos in chapter 8, or chapter Yes, chapter eight. We read in Amos eight eleven. Amos eight chapter eleven. Uh, Amos eight verse eleven. He says, "Behold, the days come," saith the Lord God, "that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord." not a famine of bread nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, of hearing the proclamation of God's revelation. And that was a mark of chastening for the people of God at that time. And so, those are the reasons for this priority. But I want us to consider now some difficulties related to this priority. Some difficulties related to to this priority. It is revealed that it is to be a priority. It is to be a priority in the life of the local church, in the life of the individual Christian, but I I think it is important for us to consider here some difficulties that are involved in this priority. Because there are things that are involved as we think about prioritizing preaching that are difficult, that people that the people of God struggle with. And I just want to note some of them here. The first of which is providential hindrances. Providential hindrances. Well, what do I mean? I mean sickness, injury, things that hinder us from getting to the house of God, things that hinder us from hearing the preaching of the word, You could think of transportation problems. Our cars break down on the way to church? Does that mean that you're not prioritizing preaching? No, it's a providential hindrance. The same thing concerning necessary employment. We think of emergency services and how people are giving themselves to, whether they are police officers or workers in the hospital or caretakers of some sort. That they are providentially hindered in this way. And the reason I take time to highlight that is because I think it's important for God's people to understand that if you're providentially hindered in those ways, it is not an indication that you don't prioritize preaching. And I think it's very important to distinguish that because some would have you to, sometimes you could feel guilty about those things, and yet there are true providential hindrances. It is not as if you are saying, I don't want to be there. It's a reality that you can't be there. And so I take the time for us to highlight that, and there may be others. Those are just some that I think should be noted. But also, another difficulty that relates to the difficulty of prioritizing preaching in the lives of people, is guilt resulting from sin. Guilt resulting from sin. In other words, you cannot ordinarily live in sin and comfortably sit under the preaching of God's Word. That is something that will keep people from prioritizing the preaching of God's Word. Because if you have guilt related to sin, to unconfessed sin, or if you're in any way living in sin, then you're never going to be comfortable sitting under the preaching of the Word of God because by its very nature, what it is, if it is as according to our definition, it will by its very nature be convicting. And people do not like that. And that is why, that is at least one of the reasons that preaching has fallen on hard times in these days because we live in a society that is given over in many ways to sin. And so guilt resulting from sin will keep people from prioritizing preaching. But thirdly, another difficulty in the priority of preaching is the character of preachers. The character of preachers is a difficulty resulting or relating to this priority. What I'm getting at there is that you see this in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel. You see an example of this in chapter 2 regarding the sons of Eli. We're told in, in verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. That's very important. They knew not the Lord. And then in verse 22, we're told of what they, how they conduct themselves. These were the men who were handling the worship, as it were, in the Old Testament at this stage. They were there as, as sons of Eli, who was a priest, and they've now taken on the responsibilities And it says, verse 22, Now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel, and how they lay with women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, that's significant because of what we'll read in a moment in verse 17. But these men, because of their character, at the very least because of their character, were causing people in that day to abhor the worship of God. They were causing people to abhor the means that God had ordained. And so the character of preachers will cause people to have a difficulty in prioritizing preaching. How can you listen to someone proclaim a message that the Bible of the Bible, a message that is biblical? when they are living in such a manner. And yet, that has happened. And you can think of tons of examples, I don't have to point them out to you, where you have seen that happen in the moral failure of men and how it damages people's view of preaching. You think of, you have this in the Old Testament, but you also have it in the New Testament. In 3 John, we won't turn there, but you remember Diotrephes. If you think of what uh, John says about him, that he, he was keeping certain men out of the church, certain other servants of God, and he was basically hogging uh, the attention of the people. In other words, it was pride. Pride in Diotrephes. And it was a moral failure in his character, and that would have caused people to struggle in that church to prioritize preaching. And this is why, no doubt, why character qualities are so crucial and why Paul takes time in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 to go over the character qualities of deacons and elders. So the character of preachers is a difficulty that people struggle with. But also, the abuse of preaching is a difficult Difficulty that people struggle with. The abuse of preaching. What I'm getting at there, like I said in 1 Samuel 2, verse 17, we read concerning the the sins of Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. If you back up to verse 15 through 16, you get the context. But verse 17, basically, they were keeping men from properly offering to the Lord. They were taking Uh, the offering in a way that was not according to the laws of Leviticus. And so, verse 17 says, Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. You think of the significance of that statement. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. This was the instituted, ordained means of worship in that day. This was what God had ordained for the people. It was a picture prophecy of Christ. It was the offering of the sacrifice that was meant to picture the gospel, a proclamation of the gospel, if you would. And these men mar it because of the manner in which they do it. They mar it. They abuse it. And they cause men, therefore, to abhor the offering of the Lord. It was misconduct of the worship. Now, I think this is very enlightening and insightful for us to consider in our own day. Because when we think about that, we can see in a, in a sense how it was understandable. It was understandable that people would be upset with that. That people would would not be okay with that. And of course, there are very uh, important context details to that. They were limited to that place. Today, people can go to different churches and all of that. But at least in the principle that we see there, it was understandable, but we have to understand also that it was not excusable at the same time it's a, there's a fine line it's understandable that they would have a difficulty worshiping in that manner with those men doing what they were doing and yet it's not excusable to abhor the means that god had ordained and you can see this today there are so there are specific examples that we could get into but i'm not going to but you can think of your own. No doubt you have, you have seen this. You have seen people who abuse the preaching of God's word and they do damage to the church of Christ. They do damage to God's people and they do damage to how the world views preaching because of what they see in the character of men and how they abuse the office. And so the abuse of preaching But also, fifthly here, the abandonment of preaching is another difficulty that people would face today with prioritizing preaching. The abandonment of preaching. And what I mean is that many individuals, many people who at least profess to know the Lord, and and many who probably do, many individuals fail to prioritize preaching because many churches have abandoned the priority of preaching. Many places have caused the preaching of the Word of God to take a back seat to the worship service and rather have promoted other aspects, whether it's music or some other thing that they do in the worship of God. That takes the promotion so that there's 40 minutes of singing and maybe 10 minutes or 20 minutes of preaching. And that's what people, if if that's... You know how the Lord saved them and and they they end up there? When they come out of that and they go somewhere like here where the preacher's rather long-winded at times, (laughs) they struggle. They struggle to understand that. Because they have not been exposed to the prioritizing of the preaching of God's word. And so the abandonment of preaching is a is a is a blot on the church today and something that we need to pray that God will change and will turn for the good of his people. And again, that doesn't excuse um, not prioritizing preaching, but it's just, it's just a fact. It's just a difficulty of it. But now those are some difficulties related to this priority Now I want us to consider some practical ways to embrace this priority. Some practical ways to embrace this priority. As you think about the preaching of God's word, and you think about how you prioritize it on an individual level, how do you do that? How do you do that? Many of you do this already, and I am thankful for that. But we'll at least list here some things that are practical ways to embrace it. The first of which is to prioritize your study of God's word. That's a way that you embrace the priority of preaching. Your study of God's word. To renew your mind, to feed your soul. And at the same time as it benefits you as an individual, it makes you a better hearer of the word of God. More familiarity with the scriptures, more knowledge of the scriptures, makes you a better hearer of the word of God. This is something that Paul brings out when he writes to the Corinthians. He says in First Corinthians chapter three, verse one, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And so he's saying that there was a there was a lack of capacity. In these believers, for him to to feed them with meat, he had to feed them with milk. And so we can learn from that, that there's a growth in the Christian life in our capacity to hear, to be better hearers of the Word of God. But secondly, prioritize your praying for the preaching of God's Word. Prioritize your praying for the preaching of God's Word. Paul says in Ephesians 6, After he says, you know, finishes in 18, prayer for all saints and for me, that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel of Christ. That was his prayer. And so, as you prioritize praying for the preaching of God's word, you pray for yourself and you pray for the preacher. As I said, I know I'm I'm preaching to the choir, as it were. Many of you, I'm thankful, do this. But it is It is good to remind ourselves as we are coming to hear the Word of God, whoever we are, myself included, that we pray for ourselves and we pray for the preacher to prepare our hearts to to rightly hear, to ask the Lord to help us to rightly hear from Him, not just from a man. And then praying for the power for the preacher, the power of the Spirit of God to be evident, to be present in the proclamation of the truth. But thirdly here, prioritize the way you hear God's Word preached. Your study of God's Word through books that help us understand the Word, through prayer and meditation and all those things, prioritize your praying for the preaching of the Word and prioritize the way you hear God's Word preached. What I mean by that is at least three things. By remembering what biblical preaching is, That's one way that as we come to hear God's word preached, we remember what biblical preaching is. Namely, that it is the preaching, that the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. Paul says to the Thessalonians, these words very instructive. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, Ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in you, also in you that believe. They received it not as the word of men, but as the word of God. And so we do that. When we come to hear the word of God preached, we are to remember what biblical preaching is. By humbly examining yourself and the message. That's a part that you play as a hearer of the word of God. You examine yourself in light of the message and you examine the message and you do both humbly. You, You are like the Bereans who received the word with all readiness of mind. They were prepared to hear it and then they also studied the scriptures to see whether those things were so. And I trust each of you hold whoever's here, me or anyone else, accountable to what is revealed in the Word of God by humbly examining yourself in the message. Because there is a way that you can do that where you're, you're just always kind of waiting in a proud way to catch something out of the preacher's mouth. Or you, you examine yourself, but you don't do it with, with humility and grace, and so you determine that I don't need to hear anything the preacher's saying. That's why I say by humbly examining yourself in the message. And by taking the message with you. By taking it with you. That's how to prioritize the way you hear. By taking it with you. Remembering what it is. Examining yourself in the message. And taking it with you. Being a doer of the word. And not a hearer only. The last thing here as we come to close. The latter part of this question really a, a further of this question <clears throat> is corporately prioritizing biblical preaching we thought of personally prioritizing it but paul also deals with corporately prioritizing it how shall they hear without a preacher verse 15 and how shall they preach except they be sent really what paul's getting at is that these preachers have to be sent out and that takes our our thoughts to the local church as well as the formal church the United Church of God and you see this in Acts you see it in Acts 13 where Antioch they send out Paul and Silas you see it in chapter 15 where the Jerusalem Council send them out and so it's on a local church level and you can even see it in a in a larger corporate level but just note briefly here that this is to be done. This corporate prioritizing is to be done in an immediate way. It's to be done in an immediate way. It's to be done, the priority of preaching on a corporate level in a local church is to be done in weekly worship services. That's how we prioritize preaching, in weekly worship services. On the Lord's Day especially, we see that in Acts chapter 20, Paul gathers with the disciples there and they break bread and then there's the preaching of the word. And that's also the time where Eutychus uh, falls out of the window because Paul was long preaching. (laughs) But you see it in that, in weekly worship services. But in outreach to the community, the local church is to prioritize preaching. Not because it's the only thing that we have to offer the community, but because it's the main thing. The preaching of the word of God, a message, is the main thing a local church has to offer people. The message of the gospel. The proclamation of God's revelation. Whether from the pastors or the people. And this is to be done in a missional way. In a missional way. How shall they preach except they be sent? Paul has this this missional mindset again in the context to the Jews but broader to the entire world we know from other things that he said. And so we do it as a local church in a missional way by praying for preachers, by evaluating men called to preach. For Paul says to Timothy that he was to commit the things that he had heard of Paul to faithful men that would we'll be able to teach others also. Encouraging men called to preach, as Paul did when he writes to Archippus take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it, Colossians four seventeen, By training men called to preach, which is implied from verse 15, except they be sent, well, you can't send them unless they're trained to be what he refers to in verse 14 as a preacher. And then sending men called to preach. Sending men called to preach. Sending them out to preach Christ to a dying world. This this is how a local church, a denomination, prioritizes biblical preaching. And it's the ideal goal for every local church to be able to send men out to preach the gospel. And you have known that blessing in days past. And that is a gift from God to be able to send anyone out, not only men, but in terms of preacher's men, But also being able to send out servants in general to serve the Lord on the field. And that is a gift from God for any local church to be able to do that. And so, that is the the, the corporate prioritizing of it. That we all want to be engaged in week by week, month by month, year by year. This is the practical necessity of biblical preaching. And in a day when preaching is esteemed very low, we want to be people who esteem it very high. Because it is a means of grace that God has gifted to His church. It is His gift to despise biblical preaching. To think lightly of it is to think lightly of the gift of God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful to Thee, Lord, for Thy Word, for the revelation of God that You have given us the proclamation of the truth, that You have given it to us in this way, Lord. We ask, O Lord, that You would further bless thy word to each of our souls in our private times as well as the public worship of God. We pray that you'll increase our capacities to hear the word, to study the word, to understand the things of God. We pray that you'll help us to be lights in the midst of a dark day, Lord, where so many are abandoning biblical preaching. And so many are giving it a back seat for whatever reason. And Lord, we pray that you will keep us from ever engaging in such. And Lord, that you will undertake for the preaching of the word every week in this place. That you will help me. Lord, I need so much help. Please, Lord, burn away any chaff from the words that I have spoken. And preserve any wheat In all of our hearts. Please hear our prayers Lord. Receive our thanks. Depart us with thy blessing. In Jesus name. Amen.